Hare Krishna. Uh, sitting to my left is Tejas Prabhu. Different to this Tejas, who you may know somewhat. Tejas Prabhu uh, is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada who served his mission in several parts of the world. Um, but it, at least to me and probably to others is, well, apart from those in Philippines and Hong Kong, to the ISKCON world in general is better known, best known for his uh, service in Delhi in the early 1970s, which was very much, that service there was very much connected with the uh, construction of ISKCON in Vrindavan. Um, so, the subject that Tejas Prabhu likes to speak about most is Srila Prabhupada. He had a lot of association with him. And I think you also like to hear that. It's not always that we should hear what we like to hear. A lot of the time we have to hear what we need to hear, which is not necessarily what we like to hear. But the two things come together when we hear about Srila Prabhupada. And we don't always have in the morning class, generally we follow the format that Prabhupada gave us. Speaking on the philosophy of Gita and Bhagavatam. So, uh, anyway, um, I'll just put out a few questions to you and then you can take it as, take it as it takes you. Um, now I first came to India in 1976. And there's a lot of difference between now and, between then and now. You came 71, was it? 1971. I think even between 71 and 76, there was a lot of change in ISKCON, particularly. In ISKCON in general and ISKCON in India. ISKCON in India was almost non-existent in 1971. And in 1976, it was established and well-known, not nearly as well-known as is. And the countries changed a lot also. Um, My recollection is that the movement at that time was very strong in the West. It's, it's turned around now. And devotees in the West, they often couldn't understand that why is Prabhupada putting so much effort into India? Srila Prabhupada established the movement in the West and having done that, he actually spent most of his time and almost all of his money in India. And devotees couldn't understand why because the response in the beginning was somewhat slow from the local people in terms of commitment. Anyway, um, Tejas Prabhu, what do you see? What was what was Srila Prabhupada's vision for India? Why did well now we can see the results of why Prabhupada invested so much time, energy, and money into India? He was bringing money from the West from book distribution. Um, what was what was his overall vision? That's that's a big question. Yes, it's a big question. Compartmentalize it. Yeah, but I can do what you can do. 
Well, yeah, I mean, he he spoke of different projects. He he, he a lot of Srila Prabhupada's energy at that time went into seeing that these three major projects, the, the Bombay, Vrindavan, and Mayapur, that were constructed. And Mayapur is ongoing, but Bombay and Vrindavan are more or less what Prabhupada did is the same now. Well, yeah, all the old buildings have been demolished, but uh, a lot of his energy went there into constructing big temples. Oh, oh, why don't we start with that? As you were much involved in the Vrindavan construction. The, uh, first thing, my, my, my uh, impression of it, of course, we don't want to compare Shri Prabhupada and bring him down in our comparison, but we can compare him to great historical leaders in the past. Shri Prabhupada was very conscious of what he was doing and how it will have an impact in the future. And this is supported and reflected in the Vedic uh, approach to uh, developing Krishna consciousness, but acknowledging how people are in material consciousness to begin with. That people believe what they see, and their impression is based on a large part of accepting things by huge edifices, huge buildings. It's one great historian, Anul Chandi from England, and he, he, he looked at all the great empires of the world and they established six different principles. And without going into the other five, uh, one of the big principles was to establish great monuments, great buildings that people look up to. And we, we see that the Kshatriyas, though they were actually the, the highest Kshatriyas, the ones who were empowered by Krishna, they were very humble and like sadhus, like Yudhishthira Maharaj. Raja Rishi, but they're actually like sadhu, sadhu Rajas. But for the sake of establishing a a precedence of their nobility and greatness, they built great palaces. Shri Prophet commented on this in Bombay, commented in many places, but this is just one. In the beginning, we had that small, small building, actually, about the size of Maharaj's house for the deities. There was hardly anything for the devotees before we got occupation of some of the apartments. And uh, Srila Prabhupada was saying, just see, no one comes in here. Hardly anybody would come to our Juhu project. Now the police organize hundreds of people for crowd control and they work with the devotees for a month or two just to plan whenever we have a grand festival. People pour in. Pour in. Of course, when we organize a, a panda, then people, they would come. 
they liked that idea was easy to do it was appealing it was natural so Srila Prabhupada had in mind these three projects Bombay which was his office that's what he called it and Vrindavan is his home and Mayapur place of worship his place of worship <coughs> so not, not to not to split off what Iskand's current vision was but Srila Prabhupada's primary vision for India was to establish that first building that was in Mayapur. And for Vrindavan, the guest house and the temple. There was actually no ashram. And then he added, because one gentleman, Vishwambhak, uh, Bhagaji, is his nickname, he, he donated gave Prabhupada a lakh of rupees to buy the land for the Guru Prabhupada wanted a little farm there, different, different things, and he was coming very often, and he was actually very interested in doing a little bit more. A lack of rupees in those days, it was enough to buy a substantial plot. Yeah, one acre. Hmm. Even here, how much is one acre? Oh, much, many lakhs. Well, in Vrindavan, one acre has got to be cross. Yeah, it's very expensive. No. 12, 15 crores. So the shopper, Daya, very nice devotion. He gave one night. So that program was a little bit expanded. And then uh, Bombay is basically the first part of the project. So Prabhupada was focusing that these should be done first. And then... Uh, <laughs> Uh, some land was in Abbott Circle was donated and so some project was uh, probably supported the idea in, in of Hyderabad in Hyderabad so. and, uh, and uh, but that was in the, independent although some money was borrowed that was supposed to be paid and was never repaid some land was being offered in the Lord but Prabhupada in where? in Nilor all oh, right yeah. Srila Prabhupada was very specific. He was actually, I, I, because I got, I interacted with him on projects more than actually any single And basically, he also used to say it to everybody and to the leaders and write it that that's it. There's these three projects, <laughs> and then full focus on what. Can anybody guess? What beginning with P? Well, yes, but there's a specific part of that. B. Yes, the big B. <laughs> yes, book distribution. Every rupee we get, we will push into book distribution. That's a very big topic. Life membership, book distribution, money. Eight hours for two, three months begins to cover that time. So, in cards of construction, to keep on the subject, Srila uh, Prabhupada was wanting a moratorium. However, behind the scenes, he was dialoguing with me. He was, he was, uh, we were, Gajarala uh, Mandala Ali Prabhupada wanted to get some land in Kurukshetra. 
and Ambarish was trying to donate for that. And then one gentleman, MP Jaipuria from Jaipuria, Jaipur, he was going to build a replica of Krishna Balaram Temple in Navan and build a, a Vanakrast Institute as well as a Varnashrama College. In Jaipur. In Jaipur. In Jaipur. Then we had J.D. Palapatnaik, who later was chief minister, and in between was the minister of several ministers, but he was also the minister of tourism. He was getting us land in Puri. Then one gentleman, Devi Sahi Jindal, Jindal Tubes, he was giving us a thousand acres of land in Kotwara. So there, actually, another. Where is that? Rajasthan? No, that's Kotwara is in Uttar Pradesh. Oh. Maybe it's changed now. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's just. Thousand north, acres. Uh, it's northeast of Rishikesh. I see. So that, that was another project. So there were another eight projects. What, what would that have been? That, that's hilly it's land. That's suitable for farming. Yeah, and an ashram. But, uh, and there was someone wanted to give land in, uh, near to Pune in the Ghats. Wasn't there? That there comes up a, in the conversation. Uh, a project in Merut, Lakshman Agarwal. So there, there are, and then there were temple projects, but these were, in a sense, <laughs> off book. They weren't part of, uh, Shri Prabhupada was not going to fund them. Uh, they, and then there was the Bhubaneshwar project, which came along towards the end. But it was, it was Did, did Prabhupada also include that in the MVT Trust? Yes. Hmm. That it would be, uh, Match donations. Mm. In the beginning, Borgerman was collecting and it didn't take off, and then, you know, of course, I was asked by Janet Maharaj to help the language project. So, Bhubaneshwar project, Nityananda Kanungo, who was the governor of Bengal, he gave some land in Bhubaneshwar. But that, that, that profit was going to co fund that, but it wasn't that. He was going to manage the funds. With the three projects, he, he actually not only took a personal interest, but uh, because I was his controller of accounts, you know what a controller of accounts is, the person who oversees and makes sure all the accounts are correct. And if I didn't recommend an expenditure, then Prabhupada didn't pay the But... You know, Prabhupada had veto power, over which I had no, no worries or question. And sometimes, for expediency, Sarami or, uh, or Gurudas, for different reasons, would approach him. And Prabhupada would sometimes pay out. But generally, Prabhupada wanted me in Delhi to maintain them and to give them money as much as I could, and then to control all the money. And then in Calcutta, Gargamuni, Srila Prabhupada's nickname for him, Gargamani. He and his brother, Brahmananda, they uh, helped Prabhupada in the very beginning, 66, 67, to establish the movement with money to help in the print of Brahmananda's picture. So that was the purview of Calcutta, was kind of the watching and helping for Mayapur. And so, should probably give money and then, you know, Jakarta would deal with him with extra money. And then in Bombay, it was Kiri Raj Maharaj. And Tamal Krishna. 
so these were Srila Prabhupada's main focus to establish, in my estimation, the vulnerable terror, the credibility of our movement. The credibility of our movement. And, and I, I can see this because when I was first in Delhi, I was thrown out of many houses. They used to let the dogs loose. I was thrown downstairs. People chased us with bulls. Delhi was the most difficult. But after we opened Vrindavan, there was still no temple in Delhi. Our credibility skyrocketed. You're welcome to people's homes. Because Bombay is much more congenial. People are a little more cosmopolitan, more open to dealing with sadhus. But still, you know, now I remember after coming back uh, one of the times when I was in I was in Bhima's room when he was temple president. So we used to go, even in Bombay, we used to go and to get you know, 25,000 rupees. That was a lot of money. And not much after opening the temple, I remember just sitting there and one man came and gave a lakh to Bhima who he didn't even ask for it. <laughs> and then another man gave another one. They were just throw money. Same thing with Risa. Just go out begging, begging. I had to go to begging Madhya Pradesh and Bihar and even Delhi to get the money to build the Pugnesha project. And as soon as the temple was open, just don't mind it, it's not at any pride. Just any Brahmachari who had no training, just put the membership form. Before they took a membership form, they just said, I want to become a member. You, know, you can go out and get you know, 100 members. You would have to go begging and begging and begging. It's not a matter of the particular quality of it. People became very changed. They say, seeing is believing. There's a saying, even now it's in India, I've seen it on TV, so I believe it. I read it in <laughs> If you put it in print, people believe it. If you show it physically or put publicity, everybody believes it. So, in my understanding, my appreciation of synthesis, is that this should the Prabhupada could see he had a very very long range plan. Partly he would call it the lame and the blind. The blind were us in the West. We were blind to the basis of spiritual life. At that time, I came to India in nineteen sixty six. Before before, before ISKCON was established. Before you were in ISKCON. Also. I kind of underwent below Srila Prabhupada's path. That's another story, very long story. But so I was in India in 66 before ISKCON was here and before I connected with ISKCON. And every, I would talk to so many people about spiritualism. I didn't come for spiritualism directly. But everybody believed in reincarnation. Everybody had read Bhagavad Gita or had heard it and was interested in it. Everywhere. I didn't travel extensively. Everywhere. North and east and south and west and up, I guess it's everywhere. Yeah, everybody was interested to have a spiritual conversation. Even they speculated. That was a different thing. Everybody was speculating. You know, they, they, they were very eager. But even by 71, it was quite different. Between 66 and 71, so many things started to change. So, so 
Srila Prabhupada's vision is very intricate because he sees from the deep basis and is directed and dictated by Krishna. But one other thing is that Srila Prabhupada had a nickname for us. Does anybody know that? When he, the, his Western devotees are giving to even the ones who were Negro, as you can say, or black body, but they were from the West. Srila Prabhupada, I'm giving a hint there, Srila Prabhupada had a nickname for his Western disciples. He is dancing white elephants. He goes to all of you dance with him. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a mix, it's a rasa basa, mix rasa, utta rasa, with uh, India and its vision to the West. But you know, anything from the West is good, but everything from the West is hated. <laughs> when I first came to India, even, even in 70s, even up to 75, 76, 77, when he made the what kind of name? Oh, America, well, beach men, what do they say? Oh, Maritza. And they didn't mean it well, in any bad way. They just, this was Hindi. The West was called Nanak. By Indian gentlemen who gave me. Do you know that, what that means? Do you have the same word in Tamil? Narak means hell. Tamil the words are not the same as in Narak. So they, this was Bridgman Chandiwala who was like a son to Prabhupada, who loved him and he respected me and he really cooperated with me with anybody. They would, you know, they didn't mean it any better Because you go Narak, everything's spoiled. They don't like what your children to go to Narak. If a sadhu went to Nara, even now like in the uh, Madhva Sampradaya, just only one, only when one of the Ekacharyas went to uh, his first visit was to Kazakhstan. Whoa, you know, oh, he can't be the next one of the Acharyas. What is that name, Acharya? He can't become that now because he went to the US. Now another one has come. Because contact is bad association, everything is spoiled. But now, my God, I, I sometimes think that, you know, it's not exactly a political statement, that if Pakistan, now there's not so much tension in a certain way, although there's this fighting there. You know, everything is evolved. But even in the 80s, you know, they were ready to go to war. In 93, there was huge million soldiers. But if Pakistan wanted to take over India, they just have to convince America to give. 10,000 free visas. First come, first get. Yeah, all of India will stop. You know? You're giving out in all the major cities, whatever this consulate. You'll see that two, uh, 20 crores, 40 crores of people want to go and you know, get that visa to America. Unconditional visa. You only have to give citizenship. That is the green card. Everybody wants to go. Everybody wants to go. Yeah, there's certain reasons. <coughs> There, the material kind of living is a little bit more sane. You know. it's, it's, uh, it works. So, going to my principle is that Srila Prabhupada understood, he foresaw, he saw in his own generation, he mentioned this uh, many times, that 
the, the culture of India was being degraded, not from the influence of the Muslims, but the influence of the British, who were very clever, undermined the principle of Vedic life through introducing this concept of education, Western, modern education. And that corroded the basis of Vedic culture by transferring the ideal of one being concerned most with what happens after this life to being only concerned with what happens in this life. The British were very clever. They're the leaders in the world of making this change. It's another story. So Srila Prabhupada was very cognizant, aware of this, and so by bringing these dancing white elephants, people said, oh, this is a really good thing. Americans are doing it, we should do it. And he would tell that funny story of the man, he saw this in the movie, the, in Charlie Chaplin, the man sitting on the bench and tacked his long coat and got up and tore it. So, you do like this, you do like this. Whatever fool he, does, he got lost. Hard to <laughs> what any fool does, everyone will do. But things have changed, and I, I'm astonished. Things that uh, I was just listening to a recording, the prophets walking in my airport. This ashram is very clean, from very clean. Many, it's not clean, it's quite clean. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, at that time, cleanliness in India, although externally, in the public, was not very clean, but nothing dirty compared to today. One reason for that is because they have all these gutka packets and then crisp packets. There's a lot more junk things. But the consciousness of people Mm -hmm. outside in the public, people did not think the public places to keep clean, but the houses and the villages. Especially in the houses, very yeah. teaching cleanliness habits to the children was very important. And so, Srila Prabhupada was in Mayapur, and there was something dirty, and Prabhupada was correcting them why it's not kept clean, and then chastising his Western disciples. And he said, India was the standard, and then as soon as you leave India, Raksha. Pakistan, Afghanistan, and you go to Europe, more righteous. And you go furthest west, Prophet didn't say America, full righteous. He's talking to his American disciples. We didn't get angry. Oh, shit, Prophet, why you calling us? No, we felt humbled. We know we're from righteous, at least most of us righteous, Lecha, Yavana. We're pulverized to begin with. Humility is good. Now, I see that India has become more <coughs> So, Srila Prabhupada had this vision that things would deteriorate. And so, he reintroduced the emphasis as it was going down. He was bringing it up. So, he was bringing it up invisibly. An example. When we, before we opened the Krishna Balaram temple in Vrindavan, up to the opening, when you go to Varshana or Nandagra or Govardhan during these main festival periods, especially Radhasthami, Govardhan, hardly anybody would come. Just some real, there would be some local people. There's a certain group of diehards that would come. 
but from Delhi, there was only a core, really a core of Vaishnavas. And there would be, you know, a few thousand would go, like Gordon, Puja, just there would be a few thousand people. Now, every day, it's 10 lakhs, 20 lakhs, it's like a Kumbh Mela. So huge. And this is all due to Srila Prabhupada establishing a plan to renovate you know, the interest in the Holy Dhams, this Mayapur and Vrindavan, renovating the interest in the Holy Dhams. Yeah, Mayapur, hardly anybody knew. Just a small segment of people, Gaudiya Vaishnavas. But after Prabhupada established, you see now, I was just listening, I was some shop getting something. And I was reading on the radio. It was talking all about the big Maya fortresses. Like months in advance. Book your tickets now. And, you know, the government is sponsoring this. The government was always hammering against us. And now the government is sponsoring and it's huge. The, the uh, communists are out. Communists are out. That helps. Yeah. But they had to succumb. So this is only a fragment. When we preach to students, it was another story. We preach to people, and uh, you know, especially youth. And they would, some would be interested. Of course, they, they, the parents didn't like their children to join. It's still a common thing, but not like that. But you know, you speak to the young people, and they say, no, no, no. First, we have to become wealthy like America. Then we'll join. Let's see you. Some of us had money, some of us didn't have money. eyes, all of us were you know, very wealthy. Materially, you know, the poorest person today, even in America, the way they live is better than the upper middle class in India. Just material. Yeah. Definitely. Just five minutes on YouTube and you'll see you know, the. Uh, like the poorest people in America live in what we call trailer homes, trailer parks. And they're part of the streets are neat and clean. They have all the facility fairly big homes. So at least they you know upper middle and upper middle class, that's the poor person. And some of the poor people they live quite well. Better than the quite average middle class. So that time was extreme in terms of material things. So they think, oh, you're all rich. So they, when we preach to the young men, young, because we preach mostly to the young men, the young men that come, not so many ladies do it. They said, no, no, first we'll enjoy like you. They said, but it doesn't work like that. But they couldn't do it. Now we see how, especially Radhishantra, especially was the pioneer of college preaching, a genius and humble Vaishnava, very humble and elevated Vaishnava. And you see so many tens of thousands of students reading about the It's become a great interest. Colleges are encouraging. They are, no, 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 we don't want to spoil them. If they get into spiritual life, then they're so your life will become spoiled. So to envision like this, in those days, uh, was hmm. something else. There was nothing 
there to sh- to show it. It's, it's just like if you see an acorn and you never seen you you never seen an oak tree. You could never imagine it's something like that. Yeah. Well, it's even that there wasn't an acorn and you're just describing it. <laughs> when I started preaching in Delhi, some others have, had gone there and attempted. Sometimes they left of their own accord. He went back to his family. Gurudas was there, Prabhupada dropped him off on the train ride from Kolkata to somehow past Amritsar, I think they were going. Amritsar to Bombay, Pastim Express. And Prabhupada shoved him and Jaguna and Gopal. Gopal, just Gopal. Just the three of them. No, I mean his name is just Gopal. Just Gopal. Gopal. Yeah. And uh, Three, four, he shoved them off. You stay here. Some of Mr. Agarwal came. Came on the train platform in Delhi yeah. and said, you should start ascending here. And then Prabhupada, they were all booked to go to Bombay. Prabhupada just threw some off the train and said, okay, now you... Started hmm. yeah, So they attempted this D.P. Agarwal from the University of Delhi. He had come to the train. So then Prabhupada pulled them to someone else, someplace else. At that time, just 50. And then 50 more came, but 50 left. Robert said to, to serve in India one year is like serving in the West for 10 years. When I, Robert sent me to Delhi, actually, it's a long story, but he made me president in Delhi and when I went back after his taking us all away. There was no place to stay. There's a chapter in my book. The chapter name is Homeless in Delhi. For some eight months I was homeless. And I, I used to think about it, how ironic it was that I was visiting the cream of the crop of Delhi. And had, you know, they would, they, they would ask me the question, well, where's your center? In Vrindavan there was no center. We had, we had a little piece of land but no construction. So I had to come up with an answer, clever answer. Because if I said, well, I'm living in a room in a garage, I'm living in a brewery, I'm living in a barbershop, I'm living in a, a room behind a brothel, I have no place to do it. They, they wouldn't have been very inspired. So we just show the pictures of what we did in the West. And hope they didn't pursue, you know, distract them a bit when they came up. We mentioned the name of one of the ten life members we had in Delhi, Hansaraj Gupta. Oh, actually, he wasn't life member. He hadn't become life member. Yeah, he was a very good friend of Prabhupada. Even someone like that. Was he friend before Prabhupada went oh, to the West? Prabhupada knew him very well before. He was one of Prabhupada's very good friends. I mean, Prabhupada, had, even though he was a humble sadhu, you can say, humble in the sense he didn't have an institution, he didn't have followers, didn't have money, he knew a lot of big people. Yeah. He, he was that personal relationship with yes, some of the biggest books. people, Dr. Radha Krishnan. When he had his books, that really also changes the people's opinion. Even if you're living in a garage, but if you have a book that you publish, it makes you credible. So that's a bit of a 
Oh, go on. What do you want to say? Yeah, you can, yeah, wherever it takes you. you have any, that yeah, okay. That, um, from what I was speaking, anything that sparked you. Okay. Um, Srila Prabhupada often lamented, I guess is the word, at that time that that uh, the educated Indian youth are not joining. That he was, he, he was, he would often quote this Bharata Bhumite Hoilo Manusha Janma Ja Janma Shata Kari Kara Para Upaka. And he, he was hoping that Indian people would take it up very strongly. But at that time, he, they weren't. And as I remember, it was just, just toward the end of Prabhupada's sojourn in this world that Indian devotees started to join more. Some joined, but they were mostly, uh, what you could say, not, not so. And, and whoever joined, who was somewhat educated, whatever, Prabhupada would, from India, he would give them a lot of, he'd, he, he gave Lokanath Maharaj sannyas initiation very quickly, uh, Gopinath, um, Bhakti Charu Swami gave him sannyas initiation, Bhakti Prem, there were, there were Bhakti Prem, Bhakti Chaitanya, Govinda. Uh, then that Sarubhavan one. Sarubhava didn't give sannyas, but he gave him a situation. And of course, yeah. Krishna, he didn't have sannyas, but he gave him a Yeah, he made him. It was a. Yeah, GBC, yeah. So he really. He wanted the, the, the young, yeah, educated Manu, people to join. Manushu. Manushu. He made some impasse. Manasvi. Manasvi. And also your friend in Mahamsa. Mahamsa. <laughs> Mahamsa, he was a Paisi. He took initiation. So, yes, Srila Prabhupada would encourage Shankar Brit. He was educated. Yes. But he didn't have much position. Uh huh. Later he. So there were a few. He came up. Uh, but Srila Prabhupada was, as Maharaj usually were lamenting or feeling sorry that why he has to be bringing uh, the Westerners. <coughs> There's a funny story. It's three parts of the story. It's an unusual story. It actually is a, a story that, uh, you know, if you. I expand upon it with other experiences. Goes very deep, and it has a lot of lot to say about what's going on or not going on in this kind of the West, or going on that some of us are very unhappy about. So there was nobody joining. Shri Prabhupada had an interesting way of dealing with us. And I can say he would do this with me often enough. When he would speak to me, sometimes he would speak to me as if I was all of his time. So even if I personally had not done something in America, or he didn't know if I did or did not, he would say, just as you've done in America. So I had to just keep quiet. My, my nature was, oh, I didn't do that. My nature was just be quiet. 
So I, I, this was, I don't remember the exact date, sometime in 72, in October, uh, yes, it would be October 72. I was, I was in Vrindavan and I would go to his room and sometimes he would talk about our preaching in Delhi. That was during the, uh, that was October, November, that was during the Nectar devotion classes. And she would outline, said, said that when you go to Delhi, you should look for some storefront. And just as you did in America, and as you find the hippies, and, and then you recruit them. You could preach to college students. You also find the hippies, because at that time, that went to Westminster hippies. You organized like that. So there, I, there were many reasons I couldn't do that, but my way of everybody dealt with Shirukapat in a different way. Back in some times, I should have, whenever I spoke out, he, he, he respected that. And I could have a dialogue, but I prefer to take what he said. Even if it was totally impossible and totally against all situations, try first, then bring it up to me. Why should I first say it's difficult or it's impossible? I should. I didn't. So I, I, did, I just listened. Even though there's many reasons I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I went to Delhi and then uh, uh, in between Srila Prabhupada wrote me a letter. Saying all these same things, it's in the database, so if you search, you know, Vicky, Storefront, JS, Delhi, somehow we'll find it. Well, the same thing. We repeated the same idea in a slightly different way, and it's a little bit more expensive than the So then I went to some people, and I was looking, I didn't have the funds, there's some good opportunities over there. So, Instead of writing to Srila Prabhupada, I would write to him. I thought, let me discuss this with him the next time I meet him, which was turning out to be in Bombay. It was going on the 6th of January, so I thought, when I meet him, I'll bring this up. So, we discussed many things. So then I brought up the results. I had results of my investigations. So I had, first of all, I had located where the hippies uh, aggregate and then with Mohan Singh Palace, which was behind the Regal Cinema in Connaught Place. There was money exchanged there and this stuff, you know. And uh, tailors, hippies would come for this ganja and tailoring and money exchange and juices. If you get all of that in Mohan Singh Palace, it's a very strange with all these people, mostly Sadaos, doing his business. And I asked them when, you know, where they congregate and have programs. And I had preached to some of them. So I, I had other things to do, and so I hadn't concentrated on that much. So I mentioned to Shiva Prabhupada, you know, that I had located where they were. So Sri Prabhupada looked at me. Uh, the kind of look was, I'll try to express it in 
the words, but you know, I, I'll, I'll express his words and then hopefully I don't have to describe the expression in his face. It should be. He says, he said, if you wanted to preach to the hippies, you go back to America. Why have I brought you to India to preach to the hippies? So, my tone of voice and what he said, that without using bad words, it was as if he used bad words. And of course, I, I always try to be very respectful to Srila Prabhupada. There was, there was, a mo- there was, of course, in my memory, not only that he had spoken to me, but I, I had him write it, that he had given me this order. But I can't think, oh, you know, you know, anything about Srila Prabhupada, question, that now he's talking to me as if he had never given this order and I had done something really wrong. Uh, and so I do, so then I, of course, that's all of the question. But the irony is today, if you go to the temples in the West, that there is hardly any Western devotees. Maharaj talked about that, that at that time it was the heyday of the West. There was 6,500 full-time Western devotees. Tens of thousands who were Westerners who were coming to our temples on a regular basis and practicing outside. Hare Krishna had become, as it said in the newspaper after the first record that George Harrison happened to produce, Hare Krishna becomes a household word. Everybody in the world. And in Africa, every place in the world, they knew and they were chanting and they saw us everywhere, where they did not see Hare Krishna. And now, people don't even know, oh, Hare Krishna, yes, I heard that. And in the temples, there's only Indians coming to our temples, which is actually not so good for Westerners, because Indians, even second generation, act a little different. Sometimes uncomfortable, like, and the only Westerner in this temple feels uncomfortable. To so it has become odd, you know. So now we have to rely upon Indians to, in the West, who mostly want to get a salary, unfortunately. And then from there, it's a springboard to become citizens, and to build a big house in Mayapur and rent it out to the poor Westerners. <laughs> Yeah, or, or some Russians. Russians are good at this one. Accumulating money. So all the land is being bought up by Russians and uh, Bengalis. And uh, Bengalis who got a work visa and work in, in, in the West, cook or Pujari, and then get money and they get a job with wheelchair in the airport or gas station, get money. It's become very odd. This, this is the... Why have, why have you come to India? Why do you preach to the hippies go back to India? As I said, in that instruction, how we, how we approach the spiritual master, and even when his instruction is 
just contradicted himself in his instruction, chastises you for having accepted his instruction. How we understand that in our heart and become very subservient. Um, well, I, I, I need to move on. Yeah, we can continue. I mean, not now, but tomorrow.